0: Acts 28, it's wonderful to be here and to open up the Word of God. And you know, my on my computer I have, I don't know, I haven't counted them all up, I'm guessing 70 or so commentaries that I can access at any time. And my favorite is written by a man by the name of Wave Nunley. And he's going to be with us in two weeks, and he and I are going to just basically talk about the things we really like in the book of Acts. And it'll just be almost like a, a little panel, uh, which is fun. So as I mentioned, we're in the last chapter. It's the story of a shipwreck of the Apostle Paul, along with 275 other people. And the sailors who were given the responsibility to know where to go and how they were going to get there find themselves in a place where they don't know where they're at. And I got to thinking, doesn't that describe a lot of us? We don't know how we got here. You might find yourself in a doctor's office. You might find yourself in front of a divorce lawyer. You might find yourself in an unemployment line, a dead-end road, a situation perhaps not of your own choosing. And you wonder, how in the world did I end up in this position? And maybe you look at our country and you're thinking, how in the world have we ended up in this position? In fact, you're looking at many leaders who don't seem to have much of a clue. And there's, there's a social unrest. And I, for one, am having serious doubts about the motives of political leaders and how they're responding to these issues. And it sure appears that they're using these circumstances for their own means. And frankly, I don't know necessarily what's true or not about what's going on behind the scenes, or even understanding what some people are doing. Fact alone can create anxiety. It's very unsettling. And people I talk to they're anxious about these times. I mean, it's a world that seems topsy turvy, does it not? I mean, what was once optional seems now people are holding on to it like a bulldog. It's non negotiable. And what was absolute now is turned into something that's just personal choice. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, is anxiousness to mark us? Let me tell you something that's not optional. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is our king, and we are a part of his kingdom. And our goal, our allegiance, is to worship him, to bow to him, to give him our fullest devotion. We are all on that mission as believers in Jesus Christ. And because he reigns, our vision is not altered. And we can have confidence instead of anxiety. Yes, even in the middle of COVID. Yes, even in this political stream that we're in now. You know, God has given us a general outline about how how all of this is going to end up. We know that he is sovereign. It may look like there has been a big shipwreck. But here's the truth. All right? By the way, this is not some kind of postmodern truth. I'm not giving you some lame conspiratorial take. I'm not giving you a political slant or my opinion. This is truth from the word of God. And this is what it says. This is what you need to hang on to. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. That is truth. And we read in Acts 28 about a particular individual who embraced those truths. So I think there's... There's something here for all of us. Let's take a look at it. Acts 28, verse 1. And we were brought safely through. We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. <laughs> people can be a tad fickle, right? <laughs> so there were 276 people from this ship on Malta. And Malta, by the way, was a, a small is a small island, about 60 miles south of Sicily, 428 miles from Rome. Small island, about 18 miles. Miles wide, And when Luke writes about natives, he's not saying these were, you know, barbarian cavemen. He simply means that they were not Greek. The Phoenicians had colonized this island about a thousand years earlier, and these people spoke a Carthaginian dialect. So the Romans had placed a governor on this island to rule over it. And it says that they expressed... An extraordinary kindness to Paul and the rest of the shipwrecked mates. This doesn't have anything to do with our story, but I thought it was interesting that Malta today has over 335,000 people living on it, and it's 97% Catholic. That's Malta. Those in the shipwreck, it says, were cold and wet, they were in need of a fire. Now, we doubt that all 276 were around the same campfire. We don't know for sure, but most think it may have been just Paul and his company of people that were with him, the other believers, along with some of the folks that were native to the island. And Paul takes it upon himself to pick up some sticks to start a fire. We've actually mentioned this before about some of the simple things that are done in these stories. And I love the fact that here's, the apostle, needs to be a fire. Well, let me go gather some sticks up. And he's the one that starts it going. He doesn't say, by apostolic creed, I command you, go and gather some sticks for me, the apostle Paul. No, he goes and he does it himself. It's unfortunate that some Christian leaders see it as beneath them to do menial tasks. It's told that Booker Washington in his youth walked hundreds of miles to one of the few universities in our land that welcomed black students. And when he got there, he was told that the classes were full, but he was offered a job. What was the job? To make beds, sweep floors. He took it and he did it well enough to where he became a student. And he's also become one of the greatest scholars our land has ever produced. A little man refuses the little task. While building the fire, a snake latched on to Paul's hand. And when the people saw it, they just figured that Paul was getting exactly what he deserved. I mean, why else would a poisonous snake bite you? I mean, when he does not suffer any injury, they reach the opposite conclusion. Paul must have been an expression of some God. Humans, aren't we prone to think that all thing relates directly to our performance, that we're, you know, it's like karma, being paid back directly for what you have done, but aren't you glad we're not living under karma where there's a direct relationship to every action. Instead, we live under grace and the mercy and the sovereignty of God. That's the law we live under, and I'm thankful for that. When you get sick, it's not because necessarily you have sinned or didn't have enough faith. You lose your job or have family trouble. We can't automatically think that God is paying us back for something we did or didn't do. So we have to be careful of taking credit for the blessings, taking all the blame for all the negative things that happened. What they saw right there was Paul being bitten by a snake, but what we see in our narrative is God was keeping a promise to Paul and this crew that he would deliver them to Rome And a poisonous snake would not get in the way. Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Publius was apparently the governor set by Rome to oversee this island. And in, in fact, inscriptions have been found in Malta using this exact same title that Luke ascribes to him, chief man of the island. And he extends great generosity to Paul and some of his fellow travelers for three days. And his father, who apparently lived with him, says, had fever and dysentery. In fact, there has been known a a sickness called Malta fever that was sort of a, a gastric sickness triggered by a microbe in goat's milk. And it could cause people to be ill for years whatever it was, Paul prayed over him and he was healed. The result is that word got around and people started bringing themselves to see Paul. Their sick friends and family members and they were being healed. And then they lavish upon Paul this great generosity during this winter season. It strikes me that God gave Paul this season of great blessing and healing and, and hospitality. But don't forget, it's in the middle of multiple trials, murder attempts, and a shipwreck. Paul's ministry, and I think by extension, our experiences in the kingdom of God, it's a mixed bag of blessing and travail. And God is in the hardship as much as he is in blessing. Isn't that right? Paul was not punished for his disobedience and that's why he was shipwrecked. He was traveling in life seeking to minister and God gave him experiences that stretched the full spectrum of circumstances. Blessing and travail. So Let us embrace the travail that God is at work and he's sovereign just as much as we embrace the blessing and know that God is there. And I think this kind of an attitude contributes to endurance because what happens is that when we have a difficult situation, we fixate on the situation. We might think it's too hard. God's not there. This organization stinks. Or this marriage stinks, and we hightail it out. And there's a temptation here. Instead of looking at things as endurance for the kingdom of God, and we miss the blessing that endurance brings. You know, the church is related as the body of Christ, and 1 Corinthians 12 expands on this. And, and God gives us multiple strands of tissue and Sinew and body parts that all connect together in this thing that we call the church. And when one part aches, it, it affects the body, but it does not define the whole body. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body. In other words, the eye, the eye is not a part of the body. I mean, excuse me, it's not the whole part of the body. It's a part, but not the whole, right? So if I have a bad eye, that doesn't mean that the whole body is worthless. It just means that there's a, there's a weakness, there's a hurt here. The hand is not the whole body, but it's a part. Each part is needed, but it's part of the whole. And I think it's the same with a lot of situations, commitments we make. I think of this, for instance, for marriage. I mean, some folks, for instance, Bemoan the marriage motif when you relate it as uh, relate to the church, but I'll stick with it since Ephesians five makes this uh, comparison. But if if marriage is something that is multidimensional, like the church body, diverse like the church body, meaning that there's there is multiple connections that you have. Of course, in our society, it's mostly just physical, but you know you have you have emotional, spiritual and physical connections that that keep a relationship together, right? And if the relationship is weak in one area, it certainly impacts all the area, but it doesn't define the entire marriage. But what happens is that we can fixate on the one thing, and we think, ah, never mind, I'm done, right? And we forget what God has done. We forget that the marriage is not defined by this one thing, we can get myopia concluding that this one area is the entire marriage. And that changing that is going to change everything. It's what you know, people say, well, if we only have devotions or, you know, you just have a better sexual experience, everything's going to change. It's like, you know, marriage is a little bit more than that. One thing, right? All you got to do is be married one week and, you know, it's a lot more complicated and layered, right? But we fall into this trap. Endurance values the whole and you know what you know what endurance does added to this that this season two will pass I' have a season of blessing and I may have a season of, of hardship but the seasons will change and I think it's important for our children to see this that we're willing to to work through this thing to to have the tough conversations and that there's something valuable going on here. We recognize that that God is present. And for our children to see this, then they learn endurance by way of example. It's not a matter of settling for less. It's a matter of growing in faith and not missing what God is teaching us in that season. On the other hand, frankly, when I look at hitches in my own marriage, it really was more about my perspective changing than it was about maybe one area that I thought my wife should have changed in, right? And that God was, was teaching me as much as he was her. not that she isn't responsible. When my heart is humble and in a listening position and learning what God has for me, I see, oh, Lord, that, that's really what you meant to do here. And I learned that my contentment is not so much attached to her doing this or that, whatever it is. It's more about this relationship I have with God, my heart being in the right position. You know, and this is, this is all true for our family. It's true for work. It's true for church. I learned that God can use even the difficulties. I was the last person cut from our high school baseball team when I went out for baseball. This was very disheartening for my major league baseball career and the fact that I just wasn't very good, but anyway. The coach asked me to sit on the bench during the whole season because he wanted me to keep score and he wanted to refer to certain things as I kept different facts about the the game and, you know, you figure guys' averages, blah, blah, blah. That didn't excite me at the time. I wanted to play, but I didn't make it. So I said, okay. It was not what I had dreamed of. But it's amazing the opportunities that it opened up for the gospel and the number of conversations I had with my coach as he would take me home every day after practice. Again, contentment is much more about perspective than it is about the circumstances. Let's make sure our children know the difference. Verse 11, "'And after three months we set sail in a ship "'that had wintered in the island,' "'a ship of Alexandria, "'with the twin gods as a figurehead. "'Putting in at Syracuse, "'we stayed there for three days.'" And from there we made um, a circuit and we arrived at Regium. And after one day a south wind sprang up and on the second day we arrived at Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers... There, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself and the soldier who guarded him, with the soldier who guarded him. We get a flavor for kind of the culture here, don't we? And we realize in our culture, there are a lot of things that work, you know, against Christianity. Christianity and we deal with things that are not consistent with our worldview. It was the same for the Apostle Paul. We read about these twin mythic children from the mythic parents of Zeus and Leda being propped up on this new ship that they were on. We learned earlier of the God of justice in operation with the snake on the beach in Malta. And God has placed us in a culture... It has conspiracy theories, materialism, political conflict, competing worldviews. Is it by mistake that we're here? No. We're to be salt and light in the midst of this. Instead of bemoaning the culture, it certainly has its problems, we realize that this is great opportunity that God has us here, right? And I look at our church During the last several months, I mean, when this all hit with COVID, every church was caught a little flat-footed. It's like, you know, what do we do now? But I look at what God has done and the people that have stepped up and uh, into key positions and the ministry that's going out from here, and all I can say is, thank you, Lord, for your work. It's a great thing that he's done, even in the midst of all this that's going on. So instead of bemoaning the times, what we can do is set our sights on the vision that God has before us, love our neighbor, share the gospel, meet the needs as best we can, let people know about their eternal and sure hope. So we have a choice to be anxious about all the problems or see it as an opportunity. Paul and his mates spent the winter months in Malta and boarded another Alexandrian ship and it probably had a cargo of, of grain as well. And their first stop is 90 miles away at Syracuse. Cicero called Syracuse the loveliest city in the empire. They stayed there three days. From Syracuse, they go another 70 miles to Regium. And after staying one day, they go to Pateoli in the Bay of Naples. Now, no longer dependent on the ship's schedule, Paul could spend a week with Christians before walking northwest toward Rome. There seems to be an unusual liberty here for Paul, does it not? I mean, he is a prisoner. And yet, this is kind of one of those uh, house arrest deals, apparently, where Paul is attached, chained to another Roman guard, and the guard just makes sure that he gets to his destination. On their way to Rome, Paul is met at two different junctures by more believers, at the Forum of Appius, it's a market town about 43 miles from Rome, and then at three taverns, 33 miles from Rome. And likely these different groups represented house churches around Rome, heard Paul was coming, and they wanted to go and greet him. It's a cool scene. I'm so excited that I have this special fellowship and I have this respect for this man that we're gonna go and travel to meet him. Great enthusiasm. You have a friend like that? They might travel a long ways to see you. 100 miles walking. Do you have a friend like that that will travel 100 miles? How about 40 miles? 10. There are others who won't get off the couch, right? They hold grudges. They don't want to talk. I can bemoan the couch potatoes, or I can be grateful for the handful of those who are willing to sacrifice and be friends. One creates bitterness, the other produces a grateful heart. The main actor in this whole story, I want to suggest to you, is not the Apostle Paul. It's not an island. But it's a sovereign God who is with us in tumultuous times, who can save us from our travails, or even a poisonous snake if he chooses to. Or he may have us experience it, and experience the full effect of that hardship. But he invites us all to be on mission. And in our venture, know that he is sovereign, and know that he can use us, and know that we can be salt and light wherever he has us. God is the main character in the story. God is the main character in your story. And he's asking, he's inviting us as a people to be fully devoted, understanding that we are serving a sovereign God, and in good times and bad, he's there with us. Let's pray.